You ever feel that way? What I do isn't important. I just file papers, or I'm just a go-for, or I just run and manage a bunch of people for whatever end, and and you feel like, you know, what I do doesn't make a lot of difference because you really don't understand that your work matters. And you may not see sometimes the impact of what you're doing and what it means in, in this economy that God has put in place for people to grow and to flourish as you do your part in that good. And we really want to take time to really look at that in this whole series, whatever you do. I mean, you can do... Um, Lots of different things. You may be a stay-at-home parent at this point. You may be working a job somewhere. You may be in a retirement time in your life. Um, But God's calling you. And he has something for you to do that's significant. And we want to help you. And my prayer is that as we look at God's word, we'll, we'll understand the difference you can make where you're at. Let's pray together. Father... Thank you for just this, this vision, this video, this ability to look at and see someone who goes in and, and just sees their job as putting some flowers together and yet the impact it can have on a person um, who's in a place of loss with a, a loved one or a, the excitement that comes when someone invites someone else and, to share their entire life together or Uh, the goodness of those flowers just creating beauty in a place where people are meeting. God, there's so many ways that, um, that we may miss why you've called us to do what we are doing. So I pray, help us open our eyes to its significance. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. This morning, I just want to share with you three things that I think as we kind of look at this, um, especially in this topic today, that your work is worship. Have you ever thought of your work as a place of worship? And raise your hand if you thought of your place as a, a place of worship. Okay. I, I thought so. It was about the same as the first service. It was probably about 20%. And I'm, I'm hoping that we can kind of change and shift our mind in a sense and create a new paradigm that you might see where you go as a place where it expresses worship. And, and I believe to do that well, we kind of have to expose some myths. We believe some things that really aren't true, that aren't really from God's word. And then there's some realities as we look at the word of God, specifically at the beginning in the book of Genesis around this idea that our work is worship. And then I would love to just apply some things so that we can kind of walk out of here and say, God, okay, I, I'm, I want my work to reflect you and to be a place of worship. So... What does that look like? Well, some of the first myths that I think people um, buy into, one of the things that people do is, and I think we, um, we have this tendency because of these myths to separate what we do here on Sunday mornings in what we call worship with Monday and what we do the rest of the week. And, and one of the ways we do that is, is around this myth, what I call Christian work is better than normal work. You ever thought that? You know, if I, if I could just, you know, the really, the, the work that counts is religious work. So if I could be a pastor or a missionary or a teacher at a Christian school or anything that's directly touching a person's life around ministry, that's spiritual. And, and what I do is, is really second class. It's not, it's not first class. It's not God's best. God's best is if you were just a missionary or a pastor or, or you're doing something like that. 
It's kind of like, you know, Kevin, you're, you're the holy man, and, and since you get to represent and, and you, you get to, to, to work, you know, we come here to worship one day a week, and, and then if we really had the perception, it's really, you're not just coming here to worship, you worship through, through praise and, and through messages and things you hear, but you go the rest of your week, and that's your worship. So my work is on this day, and your work is the next six days of the week, and I get to rest the next six days. Well, that's not really how it works. There's a book that, was, that came out, it's called Halftime, by a guy named Bob Buford, who's, who had done really well in business, and at a certain point in his life, he had made a lot, he had become very successful and done well, and he decided that, you know, I've been doing really the successful stuff till I'm 40, 50 or so years of age, and so now I want to move from success, and he called it Halftime, moving from success to significance. This idea is, is, a, is not a bad idea. There are some people that God says, you know, he, he allows for them to, to do really well and to, to develop um, enough money to have a lifestyle that they can kind of not be dependent on work anymore. And then they can give themselves to charitable causes or start up something else with what they've been doing. And that's not bad. But what it does is there's a subtle lie in that. You know what that lie is? It's... Years of working in a job to be successful to get a bunch of money, now you can do what he says, something significant. And the reality is, according to the word of God, see the myth of this, the lie of this, is what you are doing right now, according to God's word, is significant. It doesn't mean that God might move you to a different place where there's a greater fit or you're expressing something in your heart a little bit differently. But it says in the word of God, what you're doing right now is significant. There's another myth that I think a lot of people kind of buy into that I, I encourage you to really think through, and that's this myth that my, my work is only valuable as, a, as an opportunity to witness, to share my faith. You ever bought into that? You know, I, I'm working and I need to work, but it's really only significant to God when I have opportunities to tell someone else about Jesus. And what happens in that kind of situation, when you begin to think that, that your work is spiritual just because you tell others about about Jesus is you kind of feel like what the pastors and missionaries and Bible teachers and all these people who have kind of the first class, you know, we talked about that other myth, job, they're telling people about Jesus. So it it puts you in a position where you go, you either feel guilty at work when you're not, or it puts you in a position where you're going to force the witness upon people when they're not even ready to hear it. And the opportunity doesn't really avail itself to do it in a sense where God's at work. And so what you end up is sometimes on one end going, you know what, I'm feeling guilty all the time. If my work is really spiritual, I'd be telling all kinds of people about Jesus. Or you're on the other end feeling guilty and, or maybe feeling forced. I got I to, the only way my work is going to be important is if I'm just sharing my faith. It's not an either or, right? It's a both and. Um, I had someone who shared with me just this week, I, it, I, I love the way that people respond. I've gotten some emails. I've had some people I've sat down with a couple different times this week, just from last week's message, where people have have shared with me some things. One person sat down with me and told me that after a number of years of working in a place they were working, um, where he hadn't really shared his faith a whole lot, people were observing him, and at one point he was drinking a Coke, and the person um, was was looking at him, and they, they they were shocked that he was drinking his Coke, and, and the person said, why are you drinking that? And he, he said, I, I, I'm not really sure why, why, you're even a, why you're asking. And, and, and the person says, well, I thought you were a Mormon. Because, you know, you don't, you don't drink coffee or smoke or use foul and abusive language. And, you know, a number of things. And he just made this assumption, this is who you are. 
And he said it was really important for him to realize at that point that, that it's not just enough to, to have an appearance of, and I'm not saying the don'ts are what make, you know, it's how you love people, but when you love people and people feel that love, it's often the opportunity, the platform in that is the opportunity for you to share your faith, but you do so naturally. But the lie is this, that your job is only a place, an opportunity where you can just tell others about Jesus. It's not a either or. It's how do you live that life in a way when opportunities come, you do it. So if this is a myth that, you know, kind of you have a first class, second class, kind of secular, sacred myth, you know, breakdown, this is secular work, this is sacred, this is the good stuff, or you have this sense that, you know, I can only make my secular work really good is if I'm somehow sharing my faith all the time. Here's another myth that people believe. Um, my work is only worship as an opportunity to make money for God. You ever thought of that? You know, it, what legitimizes my work and makes it something that's significant for God is I can make money so that I can give money to charitable organizations or I can give it to the church. Well, that's, let me just show you, that's not a myth. No, I'm just, <laughs> hello, are you with me? That is a myth, it's a lie. That's not what makes your work significant. Again, it's something that God uses and allows you to do, but it's not for that sake and for that sake alone. There's a subtle dualism that has said this is secular and this is sacred, and, and in order to make something secular meaningful, you either have to do this sacred job or you have to witness or you have to just make a lot of money, give money. And we get this idea that what we do on Sunday doesn't fully relate to what we do on Monday and the rest of the week. There's, a, there's another myth that's important to understand. And this comes so often from a misunderstanding of the word of God. And that is this idea that work is inherently bad. It's, it's less than what God intended. It's a necessary evil. You ever, ever thought that? You know what? Work is... is and, and how people come to that conclusion, that understanding, because work really gets a bad rap because... People have been taught and they're told, you know, work comes with a what? A curse. And so, obviously, work isn't a good thing and God cursed it. And so, it, it, it just gives life's frustration. It, it, brings to, it adds to meaninglessness. Sometimes work becomes destructive. And there's this myth out there that work, because of God's curse, is just something that's not what God most intended. And that's a lie. That's a lie. What we're going to look at here is some realities about what God's word has to say. Those are myths. Those are things you go, okay, if those things aren't true, then what really is true? What is it that God's word has to say? And I think it's interesting, whenever you want to really know what the person who has created something, the owner who gives you an idea of how something should work, again, the best way to do it is go back to the manual that tells you how things really work, right? And when you go to the very first page of scripture, Genesis chapter 1, it actually begins that in the beginning was God, and he created the heavens and earth. And he then made light, and it goes on, he says, let there be water, and let there be light. And he goes through this whole process of, of creating, and forming, and shaping, and, and it's like this engineer who's putting all these things together. And you get this idea that God is a worker. And his work is worship, and inspires worship. You get this sense from Genesis 1 of God 
engaged, fulfilled, not frustrated, um, sharing out of his being all this good stuff that he's creating and working on, sculpting and forming and shaping. And he's busy at work for these six days. Or, and we're not going to get into this, or periods or whatever, but it's God shown at work. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, in the message, this paraphrase says it this way, and I like it. Heaven and earth were finished. So God's doing all this work. Down to the last detail. Heaven and earth were finished. Down to the last detail. Can you see just, you know, like an artist, that last little stroke. That's it. And by the seventh day, God had finished his work. And on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. No frustration. It's not meaningless. It's highly creative, not destructive. And in Genesis 1.31, it states this. God saw all that he made, and it was very good. God is one who works. He's a worker. And his work is worship. And it inspires a response of worship. So let me ask you. How many, last night, looked out at the sky and saw this huge white moon? Did it, did it inspire any sense of worship? I mean, you, I mean, you almost can't help it and go, wow. And you see this big white moon, and, and here it is on this side. You're watching it as it come, it's coming up. These, you know what? It was up, it, if you look, it was on the other side too, right? This morning, it was still out there when the sun was coming up. That's kind of how it works. A little science lesson, you know, it goes from here to here. (laughs) And every once in a while, when you see it here, you see it in the morning here. And God created that. He formed it and put this whole thing, and he, and he worked in such a way that at times when you, when you look out and you, you see in the, in the early evening as the sun is setting, you see these beautiful colors. What does it do? You can't help but worship. This God who worships inspires worship in what he creates. Some of you um, have gone to the mountains, right? And as you're driving up and you're seeing those, you see those white-capped mountains, what's it do? You just sense awe. Or you walk along an ocean and you, you see all the sand and then you look out and you see all the water that goes on forever. And it inspires this sense of, wow, worship. God created all that. So what's interesting, if that's how it begins, so you begin Genesis chapter 1, and then as you get into Genesis chapter 1, the, the last part of his work is, is that of, a, of the human being. It's us, and as he's doing that, at a certain point, you see in Genesis chapter 1, 26 to 28, the message again puts it this way, God spoke, let us make human beings in our image, make them reflecting our nature so they can be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the cattle, and yes, earth itself. And every animal that moves on the face of the earth. And God created human beings and he created them God-like in his image, reflecting his nature. He created them male and female. God blessed them. Prosper, reproduce, fill earth, take charge, be responsible for the fish in the sea and the birds in the air for every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. And then Genesis chapter 2 verse 15 in the NIV reads this way. The Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it. What you find is God as a worker, who his work is worship, which inspires worship, and he creates us in his image. Every one of us, before any of this fall, 
Before anything where sin entered in and in any way brought frustration to the things we do in all of life, whether it's in giving birth and all different things, before any of that, he said, you and I are workers and our work is worship. And as we do our work, our work can also inspire worship. It can can cause people to see the glory of God. Now, you might be going, oh, how in the world can that do it? All I'm doing is putting you know, papers in a filing drawer, or I'm just putting them in the, the computer, or, I'm, or I'm, you know, I'm just a cog in the machine. Here's what you have to understand. First of all, even what you're doing is a part of economy that allows for people to grow and flourish and be nourished, and, and it does provide for people to live. That, that's just plain and simple. Now, you may not be exactly like the florist who's going, why am I doing these flowers? And you don't necessarily always see the result, but God knows what you're doing. If it's in his will, in line with what he calls us to do, because there is some work that isn't, it's work that's in line with his will, it does create human flourishing and good. But I want you to move another step beyond this. You are a worker and your work is worship and your, your, your work, which is worship, inspires worship in others. Do you know that the places you go, you have the opportunity, if you have opened your heart to God and you have received him and into your life and the Holy Spirit dwells within you, you actually go as one who is like a creator who comes in. You have the opportunity, not just in the job you do, which you do with all your heart unto the Lord, not as unto man, but as you do that, you have the opportunity to actually create and shape and form. Did you know that? You have the opportunity to create and shape and form an atmosphere of what it's like in that place. You can take an environment by the way you respond to people. You can take things as as people um, are in a negative place and you can begin to turn it in a positive way. There are ways that God uses you in the same way as a worker who in your work creates and forms and shapes a sense of worship and can inspire people to, to begin to go, God's here. God's here. Every one of us. We're created in his image. What we do, whatever we do, in line with his will, is an act of worship, has the opportunity to bring glory to God. Some of you at General Mills, I know you, you, you have a little line that says, you create food that nourishes lives. That's kind of a good thing. You kind of go, wow, I'm, some of your food, I should say. Anyway, um, as an auto mechanic... You as an auto mechanic have the opportunity to help get cars running in such a way um, to help people so that they can go about the work that God has called them to do. The families. The ability to take a kid to school or to a, a sports event. To the ability to go see a, a, a parent in a, in, a, in a nursing center. And, and, and if you're a florist, you name it. You keep, you keep naming it and you go, God has a way of taking what I'm doing, not only what I'm doing, but he also has a way of taking me in this place and creating and shaping and forming it so that wherever I go, whatever I place my, my foot, I am bringing God. I am shaping and creating the opportunity for God to be in this environment. If you... Um, if you read the word of God, it shows you how this is in our very nature. Um, Tim Keller says, work is foundation to our makeup. Notice the pattern. He says, six days of work and one day of rest, and not the other way around. You ever re- you read the Ten Commandments? And if you look at Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, it states it this way. This shows you how it's much, so much the nature of who we are. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day, a day of rest. 
Now, if you're, you know, like most of us kind of go, well, God, you kind of blew that, isn't it? We're trying to work so that we can do six days of rest and one day of work. Right? But you know that what we do, the meaning that we create with our lives, that we do through our work, is so essential. I've had the opportunity with my father, who has been in a care facility, my mom and both my dad, but I remember my dad retired, and I remember so many times sitting with him, and he was just in a depressed place. Because he just felt like he was kind of put on the shelf, he didn't have any way to contribute, and and it just felt like, you know, I'm in this place, what do I do? And some of you might feel that way. You go to a, a, to a, a care facility and you ask people, this tells you, tells you how foundational it is that we are created as in the image of God to do work. Because you go to a senior care center and you might ask somebody and, and talk with someone and, and, and they'll tell you, I wish I had something meaningful to do. I want to be useful. I want to be productive. Because the loss of work is disturbing because we're designed for it. And the word of God is clear. We are not only human beings, we also are human doings. And what our being does creates meaning. We were actually by God created to, con- con- to contribute to God's good creation. Now I will be the first to tell you it's really important that you get the first who you are human being part down. Who you are, your identity, especially as a believer, you need to know your identity in Christ. When you get the human being part down, you know you're loved by God. It's not about your efforts to try and please him. It's about you just beginning to understand and accept the fact that he, through Jesus Christ, died on the cross, forgave your sins, and he loves you so much that he wants to live in you and express himself with who you are into this world. It is an incredible thing to live in that being that identity. And what happens when you're in that place of being, you then begin to move into this place of doing. You find well-doing always coming out of well-being. So the first thing I have to ask you before you even think about contributing in that sense, where are you at in your being before God? That's an essential question for you to do well. And so God tells us as we read his word, he's a worker, was really busy for six days. And his work was worship, and it inspired worship. And you are created in his image, and you have six days, possibly five, possibly four. I don't know where you're at on that. Where you can contribute in whatever, what you, do, whatever you do throughout those six days of the week. You can contribute to God's, your work is worship, and it will, if you are doing it with God out of good well-being in his identity, you will inspire worship. It's the truth. It's the reality. Now, there's one last thing I want to share with you because people don't understand that, yes, we're God's worker and we're created to be workers. Do you know that in the first few pages of this book, the very word work means worship? One of the words for worship is work, and one of the words for work, if you want to put it that way, is worship. And so it's not inherently evil or something bad. Work gets a bad rap all the time. It's actually good. It's inherently a form of worship. Work became toil after Genesis 3 and sin entered. It wasn't before. In Genesis 3 in the fall, you find that afterwards there was frustration. There was times meaninglessness. And we're going to talk more about that next week. What are you? You're in this job. You're going, boy, I'm just frustrated on this and that. We'll talk about that. But I want to share with you the Hebrew Hebrew word for work in this place and in several other Old Testament passages is the word avad. And if you look at Genesis 2.15, it says the Lord took man, put him in the garden of Eden to avad it, which means to work it, which means to work slash worship 
it. Isn't that interesting? Maybe to worship means to bring glory through it. And then if you go on in other places in the Old Testament, you'll find it's described in the same way when you come to Exodus chapter 3, verse 12, when God calls Moses to lead the Hebrews with the assurance. Listen to this. Here's the assurance he gives him. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will avod God on this mountain. What? That's a weird... You will serve God. You will worship God. You will work with the expression of your being towards God to bring him glory. And so throughout the Old Testament, this word avad is used to describe work and worship and service and cultivation, those kind of meanings, indicating this, always indicating this, that there isn't to be this myth, this break, that somehow what you do here in a sacred life, if you're spiritual or this, that, is, is somewhat worshipful. But all of life is to be integrated. And how well do we do that? It's so easy to compartmentalize our life, isn't it? It's so easy, I mean, to kind of come to church and it's yay God and God's really big and I'm, you know, I'm here and we're happy and shake hands and then you go to Monday and you show up at work and maybe there's a little bit of God. And then, and then you're with family and you kind of, you know, God, come on, show up a little bit more. And then some social relationships you're with, depending whether they're with God or not, God may show up a little bit there. You know how, don't anybody else compartmentalize their life like me? You can do that, right? And it's really easy to kind of do that kind of thing. And what, what he wants us to know is that is it says in Colossians, whatever you do, work heartily, worship in a sense heartily, as for the Lord, not for men, says Paul. And if you go on, he says your entire life is to be integrated in such a way that every expression of it is, even in your work, an act, an expression of worship. So that in Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's incredible mercy, to offer your body as a living sacrifice. I'll look at it this way. When the offering plate comes by, you should get in it. As a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper, some versions that you'll see, will translate it, your true and proper service or work. Some will translate it, your true and proper worship, because it's the same idea that is found back in the first chapter of Genesis. God's a worker. He created you in his image to be a worker, and the very kind of work you do is worship. So let's apply this. How is it you can make your work more consciously a place of worship. If you've opened your heart to Jesus and you've asked Jesus to come into your life, the question is not so much again, am I going to be bringing the presence of God there? The presence is how much of the presence of God will you consciously desire to be bringing there? How do you keep it about God? So the first thing I need to talk about is your work is either about God or it's about you, right? Does that make sense? Your work can be about God or it can be just solely about you. I mentioned uh, last week there's a lady who was a bank teller and she made this comment. It's, it's, she says, it's, it's so easy not to think about God at work. Anybody find that? I mean, anybody who's done, you, you have to wrestle with that. I, I know that from working jobs that I've done. I haven't been just a pastor all my life, but in other things I've done. It is a challenge. But there are a couple important suggestions that Jesus asks us to consider. For instance, when he, in John chapter 15, is giving this talk to his disciples prior to his um, going to the cross, he says, you know, I'm the vine, you're the branches, and he gives this really wonderful, neat teaching. It's not because he likes to be poetic and we go, well, we can make some really nice pictures with the vine. He gives it because he says, the way you want to live life. So if your life is going to express worship where you work, 
You have to understand, you have to be attached to, to the vine. And so at one point, he, he makes it really clear. Your work can be about God or about you, but the choice is always yours. God's presence, where you go, where you work, is your choice. Whether you have your work and you begin to start seeing it about God's presence, about him, and not just about you, is, uh, is something you get to decide. John 15, verse 5 says this, and it's, I'm going to read it to you in the Living Bible because I like the way they nuance this because this is what it means in, in the um, original. Take care to live in me and let me live in you. Isn't that interesting? Jesus is saying to these guys, you know, I'm the vine of the branches. Take care, take care to live in me and let me. Choose to allow me to live in you. Here's a fact. God has given us a choice. You're not, none of us are in any way just the product of a bunch of environmental things around us or circumstances we have. We have the opportunity to choose to lean into saying, God, I want your presence here. And when you make a choice again and again, what does that become? What? Habit, right. See, practicing the presence of God is no different than a person who sits down and by choice begins to play some, you know, a musical instrument in order to get that down. Part of practicing the presence of God is to actually consciously say every morning, God, today, here's what, if you, here's a paradigm shift. Today, my work is your place of ministry. It's not about me. It's not about what I'm going to get out of this. But today, I'm going to again make a choice to let you live in me. Now there's a second thing about bringing the presence of God. It's not only about a choice, but it's about understanding how essential it is. See, if you come into it and you go, okay, I get the choice piece, but really, I don't know how much God's going to do for me in that situation. It's my job. I got to do it. It's on my shoulders. I can't just turn and say, Jesus, do the job, right? But that's kind of a short-sighted understanding because if you continue to read into this passage of Scripture in John chapter 15, there is a fact that Jesus has to say here. Listen to John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you let me remain in you. You will bear much fruit. You're going to be fruitful in ways you don't even know. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Here's the fact. You can do nothing of significance without God. Do you believe that's true? Do you believe not just your choice here, but you believe your choice is based on the sense that what happens with God present is essential? It's, it's, it's got to have that understanding. Fact number two, you can do nothing of significance without God. The Living Bible says this, whoever lives in me and I in him shall produce a large crop of fruit for apart from me, you can't do a thing. I, I like the way they say, you can't do a thing. But wait a second, I'm, I'm performing, I've made the sales, I've done this, and he's going, no. The work I've called you to do that is worship and expresses worship is not just that, it's far beyond that. It's who you are and what you shape and what you form and it's how you bring the Spirit of God and pay attention to the things the Spirit of God is doing in you where you're there, when you're there. It's living with this, this imminent sense of God's presence. He's with you all the time. He's with you as you walk and you're paying attention because you've chosen to do so that today in this place of work, it's my ministry for you, God. I am a priest king. In fact, in Genesis, it says to the people of Israel, he took them out and he brought them to the world as a, as a priestly king 
king group of people. They would be people who would reign through his power and his, and his presence. And in doing that ruling, they would also represent God to the world. And in the same way you come to Revelation at the end of the book, it says all who are a part of believers, who are people of the community of faith, who are part of the church, are also called kings and priests. What does that mean? It means that through the power of God, as the spirit is at work in you, the kingdom of God, the rule of God is present as you represent God where you go. There's a man who, um, who writes this, this, this book, Doug Spada, who, who, who talks about, and he titled the book The Switch, and the idea is that somewhere between Sunday and Monday, we turn off God, the God switch. We turn off the God switch. So the first fact is it's a choice, and the second fact is, is God's presence is essential. The, the third thing that's really important is you, want, you have to want his presence there. You have to ask. You have to seek. Say, God, I want you to be here with me. If you go on in that passage of Scripture, it says um, in John chapter 15, 7, but if you stay in me and, my, and obey my commands, you may ask any request you like, and it'll be granted. God will hear your prayer, and he'll walk with you in that place. So Spada makes this comment. He says, ask yourself why God has given me his power to accomplish my work. Think about it for a second. Why is God infusing you with his power and presence where you work? And he writes, it can't just be to work harder or to work better or to give more. They're all important, but what is the central purpose of God's power in your life? And he says, look at the Bible, and here's a great answer. It says in Romans 9, verse 17, I have appointed you for the very purpose of displaying my power in you and to spread my fame throughout the earth. That's kind of your marching hours, orders as you go out. That's why you need God, because you need his power. And he goes on, he says, stop for a moment and breathe this in. Breathe this word in. I have appointed you for the very purpose of displaying my power in you to spread my fame throughout the earth. The word appointed has a significant meaning as you go into work. It literally means prearranged, decided, agreed upon, determined, assigned, and established. God has prearranged your life and work and then sends you on assignment. As his representatives, you are sent as an ambassador. You carry the full power and authority of Jesus as you go to accomplish your work on this earth. And being sent by God as an ambassador is similar to a foreign ambassador who represents his country abroad. In the same way, you are sent to represent Jesus where you are. You are equipped and resourced for your assignment. Remember we said God's call? What's God's call? It's not necessarily some special thing. It could be something out here. But God's call is always this. It's his personal invitation for you to be about his agenda with all that you have, gifts and talents, right where you're at. You do the next thing well, and if God wants to increase the fit so that you move more fully into what you feel is a calling, your calling, though, is right now. And that's what he says. You're a representative. And God sends you with a capacity that extends well beyond what you could do on your own. That's why it's essential. You go empowered with unique talents, and you influence to change your world, displaying God's power with making him known. And then he ends, he says, now that's quite a job description. And I kind of like to look at it this way. On your job description that's sitting in somebody's file in their computer somewhere is a, is a job description up in heaven that adds a paragraph or so. And you're really not going to just answer to this person, but you'll be answering to the Lord because the Lord wants to use you as his representative where you work. Now, here's the thing I want you to share, to share with you. Um, 
as you think about it, and if, if, if you look at your, your work either being about God or it can be about you, you can live with that mindset. And it's, the other thing is this, your work is about expressing love to others. It's not just about a job. And the reason I say that is because if you are a representative of God, there are opportunities throughout that whole time for you to express your love to God. It may be in what you're doing, nourishing lives. It may also be in much more than that, as God calls you to be aware of not just your work, but his greater work. Ever thought of that? It's essential you have the Spirit of God and you have the eyes and ears of the Spirit of God with you because it's not just about your work. You get it? It's, it's about God and not about you. It's about expressing love to others and not just about a job because there's a greater work than just the work that you are doing there. And what are those greater works? It's how the Spirit of God is working as you're present in your work. I, um, one time I was reading through Scripture and it just hit me like a brick. Mark chapter 1 verse 10 says um, Jesus was being baptized and just as Jesus was coming out of the water. So Jesus coming out of the water, it says the heavens were torn open and the Spirit descended on him like a dove. So I want to ask you, what do you think happened? If you were there, what, what was descending on him? Was it some kind of ethereal little kind of cloudy kind of thing that looked kind of like a dove? Or do you think maybe a real dove alighted on his shoulder, a symbol of the presence of God, and people who, who had the eyes of the Spirit, could see in the Spirit, saw God in it, and said the Spirit has come upon him, and others looked at it and go, wow, that was a nice thing. That really coincidental how the, the dove landed on Jesus' shoulder just at that time. I wonder what... Now you're kind of going, well, how do you know about this? Well, listen to another passage of scripture in John chapter 12. Because given the spirit of God, if you don't understand that the spirit of God is active and alive in your life, the very presence of God is in you, you're going to miss the greater work in your work. You're going to miss the bigger job assignment. Because in John chapter 12, verse 28 through 30, it says, Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven came after Jesus said this. This is, listen, a voice from heaven came and said, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. Now John writes, the crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus goes on to say, this voice was said for your benefit, not mine. John and others knew it was the voice of his father from heaven. We will miss things all the time if we don't say, God, I choose today to make this place of work my ministry and I ask your spirit to open my eyes and my ears to make me attentive to those things which I will naturally miss where you are supernaturally at work. I can tell you, I just had someone share with me, God did something in their life where it was one of those moments where they just stopped and they prayed and God did something And the impact that happened in another person's life was nothing that that person in their own flesh could do. It was essential that they listened and they heard God. Because if your love, if if your work is about God and not about you, and if your work is an expression of love and it's not just a job, the bottom line will be you will be loving God and loving others. It's about people. It always translates into loving other people. 
Uh, my, I have a, my friend, John Orperg, I've shared about him before. He's at Menlo Park in San Francisco. A few years ago, he began having lunches with a guy who was visiting his church, and John had these lunches with this guy. His name was Ron Johnson. And Ron Johnson happened to be one of the creative geniuses of Apple who worked with um, Steve Jobs. And, and when Ron Johnson was there, he did a number of things. But one of the things he did was create the Genius Bar. And he had done so well that professionally, he was in a place where they actually asked him to be the CEO of JCPenney. Anybody know this story? Ron Johnson goes to JCPenney. He tries to institute some of the creative, some of the things he was doing there. And it was a complete flop. He ended up losing his job, getting fired from JCPenney's, which is probably a pretty humiliating thing, Right? He's, he, he's lost his job, he's, starting, he's attending the church, John's meeting with him, having lunch, and as they're meeting and they're having these opportunities, he, he's telling John, you know, there's consultants that have said stay off, you know, work for the next year, you know, take some time, rest, you don't need to go to work. And he starts having this sense of this word enjoy, this company that he wanted to have enjoy. And he said, one day I woke up and in my mind were these words, order today, enjoy tomorrow. And he began to build this company off, this startup company called Enjoy. Order today, enjoy tomorrow. And he shares some things around it. As he's having these regular lunches with John, John encourages him to think about work as an extension of his belief in what he's learning about Jesus. And, he, and Ron Johnson's quick to tell others how he thinks about designing stores and creating great customer experiences is all informed by this simple idea expressed again and again in Jesus, love made visible. I'd sum up the whole Bible in four words, says Ron Johnson. Love God and love others. Most love is not emotional love, he says. It's rooted in compassion and help. And so that's what my governor is. How do you create an independent environment where you feel this love because love is contagious? And you might be going, well, that's really great for some Bay City kind of entrepreneurial Silicon Valley genius to do. But that's not me. But you can worship God through your work. On Monday, I received this email from someone. They said, guess what? I'm not going to do one of those videos, but I run a gift shop, and I absolutely, in capital letters, love it. The gift shop has an independent assisted living unit on one side and a care center on the other. It's located right between both sides for easy access to all staff and residents. And within the store, there are gifts, items, groceries, and sundries. I love the opportunity and the privilege I have of interacting with many of the residents and hearing their stories. Many come to shop, but some come just to hang out and chat. And they like to share whatever is on their minds or will ask for help with various things. One resident compared me to a bartender after I got done listening to what was bothering them. Even some of the staff like coming down just to chat a bit on their break before having to go back to work. As the person who operates the gift store, I do more than just sell merchandise. I give advice, offer some tech help with phones. I'm a comedian for those who need a laugh. I offer an ear to those who just need to talk or vent. And I'm just a friendly for- face during a tough time in their life. And and they conclude with this, I have never hid my faith at work, and because of that, I have had people come to me for prayer requests, and people who don't normally open up to people are opening up to me and finding comfort in my store, and I truly feel I am in the exact position God intended for me to be, especially since I didn't look for this job, it found me. I'm going to ask you to stand, we're going to say this verse. And it is my prayer that we begin to start as a body and we begin to see this happen throughout all the bodies of, the, of, of churches throughout the U.S. because God is doing something, that we begin to see that our work is worship Monday through the rest of the week. So let's say this together. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart 
as working for the Lord, not for human masters. It is the Lord Christ you are serving.